Father, we come this morning recognizing how weak we are, how our life often is upside down, how often we are faced with crises, difficulties, tragedies. Lord, as we just sang, often us in those moments simply crying out to you as our connection to you, the relationship, Lord, as it strengthens. And Lord, uh, as, as humans, we often feel closer to you in times of great need than when things are going well. Lord, I do pray that we would uh, recognize each and every day that you are always with us. And it's great to be close to you in the good times as well as the bad times. But Lord, we do acknowledge how much we are thankful, Lord. You are always with us and close to us. And I pray, Lord, we would see that today as we look at Elisha's life and learn from a very difficult and dark time just how powerful you are. And may it give us hope this morning as we face our lives. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want you to imagine the most difficult time you've had in your life. We are Americans, so I'm thankful that often our difficult times aren't all that bad. We think they are. But it doesn't seem to matter the degree of how hard they are when they happen to us and they are difficult. It hurts, it's hard, and it's difficult. But I'm certain that you have never gotten to the point where you have been this close to starving to death. Fortunately, in our American culture, most of us, when we skip a meal, it's by choice. There is hunger in our nation and those who go without meals because they don't have. But in America, I have never seen anyone on the street so thin uh, to bones that they are about to die. That's where Elisha and the people were in the story that we're going to study today. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha and the city of Samaria were under a siege. Of course, in those days when they fought battles, one way was to take warriors and go into a city and try to take it by force. But a, another passive way to do it was simply to surround the city. As you surrounded the city, you did not allow anyone to come in or to go out. And as you can imagine, soon, after weeks, especially after months, there was nothing to eat. And finally, those in the city if you were the attacking army, would throw up their hands, cry uncle, give up, and then you'd go in and take the city. Of course, those inside the city would try to hold out as long as they could. They didn't want to surrender. They didn't want to become slaves to the army that attacked them. And so it was almost like a game of chicken. These two forces, the army on the outside, the people on the inside, would the army on the outside outlast those on the inside? Would those on the inside give up because of starvation? Or would they hold out to the bitter end? The city of Samaria was at the bitter end. If you wanted to buy a donkey's head, it cost 34 ounces of silver. And our money today would be $1,000 for a donkey's head. Have you ever wanted a donkey's head, no matter what the price? Uh, two things about this donkey's head. One, uh, typically in history when a city was sieged, they would often feed the animals even before they fed themselves. Uh, because animals were more than just sources of food. 
The animals were their tractors and their farm supplies. It was how uh, they made crops. It's how they made a living. It's where they got their milk from. So they didn't give up animals easily, and they would not kill them for food in the midst of a siege unless they were desperate. Plus, a donkey was an unclean animal to the Israelites. And this is not only an unclean animal, this is the head of an unclean animal. And who has ever eaten a head of any animal? That's not what you eat, but this is how desperate they were. Have you ever, ever bought a handful of dove poop for whatever reason? Much less paid $60 for it. And yes, they would eat this and use it for fuel to cook whatever little bit they did find. Would you be so desperate? And in history, there are records of people being that desperate that they are eating poop. I'll say a nice word for it. It was even worse than that. There are some children here, so I won't go into the details of the story. You can read it in 2 Kings chapter 6. But there were two moms, and they each had a child. They made a contract with each other. It was cannibalism. There was the one child, and the contract was kept. When it came time for the other child, that mom said no, and she took off and hid her kid. That's how desperate they were. I cannot imagine being that desperate, stooping to that low simply to survive. But that's where the people were. There was a king of Israel at that time, Jehoram. He was not very happy, as no one was happy about what was going on. In fact, he was there on the city wall when the mothers came to him and the one complained, as you would if your child was gone and now the other mom has hidden her child and now she's pleading to the king for help. And the king blames God. He says to the mothers, if the Lord doesn't help you, where can I get help for you? from the threshing floor or the wine press. This isn't a statement of faith. What he's saying to them is, why are you coming to me for help? I didn't cause this. God's the one who's done this. So if God has done it, you go to him and you get help. Don't bother me with it. Also, the king, when he realized, because of the mom's story, how desperate things had gotten, he said this, May God punish me and do so severely if the head of Elisha, son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. This king had declared that it was God's fault and it was Elisha's fault. He couldn't kill God, so he's going to kill God's servant. He is going to kill the prophet of God, Elisha, because the king has declared in his mind, It's not my fault. And in fact, he also said this, some translations said, the messenger said this, the disaster is from the Lord, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? 
the king had had enough. He blamed God for it. He said, God, I've had enough. You're not doing anything. I am going to kill your prophet, and maybe that will make you do something. But this was the problem that Jehoram had, and I hope you don't have, and we shouldn't. He blamed everybody else but himself for the problems that he had. See, God had promised the ancient Israelites, if you worship me and obey me, I will bless you. He also promised them, if you disobey me, if you worship idols, if you go far from me, I will discipline you to bring you back to me. If the king had bothered to read Deuteronomy, he would know what was happening was a promise. And he knew, the people knew, they were idolaters. They worshipped Baal. They worshipped false gods. They had not repented of their sin. They had not turned back to God. God had the prophet Elijah there for about 20 years. Here's the prophet Elisha now in the midst of his ministry. Still the people are arrogant. They're unrepentant. They won't come back to the Lord. And they are suffering dearly for it. So whose fault is it? It's the king. It's the people. And he is the representative of the people are deserving what is coming to them. If the king had repented of his sin if he had destroyed the worship of false gods, if he had come back to God, if the people had done that, the siege never would have happened in the first place. And in the midst of the siege, God would have heard their prayer of repentance and forgiven them. And the siege would have been over probably. But instead, he's blaming God, he's blaming Elisha, and he's not even looking at himself. Sometimes, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we're in the midst of problems because God is testing us. The disciples on the water in a storm in a boat were there not because they had sinned but because God was testing their faith. But Jonah remember was in a storm because of sin in his life. Jonah's problems the only person he had to blame was himself because of his sin. And so I challenge you this morning if you're in the midst of trial Look and see if maybe you're pointing the blame at everybody else and the blame rests at you. Because of sin, because of running from God, and the response then is repentance. But that wasn't Jehoram's response. His response was to kill Elisha. Elisha was sitting with the elders of the city. I imagine they're talking about what they're going to do next because of how desperate the situation is. The king sends his messenger to go to Elisha to kill him. Elisha is told by God that this messenger is coming, the king is coming, they're coming for his head. He tells the elders there really to stall the messenger because he wants the king to also get there. So when the king is there, Elisha doesn't argue with him, doesn't plead for his life. He simply says this to the king. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow at Samaria's gate, six quarts of fine flour will sell for half an ounce of silver, and twelve quarts of barley will sell for half an ounce of silver. Now, think about this. We've got... A donkey's head selling for $1,000, 
dove poop for $60. And now Elisha is saying that by this time tomorrow, within 24 hours, there is going to be flour in the city. You don't have to eat a donkey's head. There is going to be barley in the city. You don't have to eat dove dung. And also, it's going to be at normal prices. If a donkey's head's going for 1000 how much is flour going to go for? 20000 No. It's going to go for its normal price. Uh, these are normal prices, not Joe Biden inflated prices. These are the normal prices of barley and of flour. So this is what he's saying. Now think about this for a moment, how impossible this is. Fifteen bucks, you can get flour and you can get barley. This is something that's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Think about what needs to happen within 24 hours. There's an army outside the city. That army has to be defeated. Well, they haven't defeated that army in months, but within 24 hours it has to be defeated. And not only does there have to be a defeat of the army, there has to be some flour, some barley, some food. Where's that coming from? There's no food in the city. And then if there's going to be food, there also has to be some money. Because even if the people had the food, they don't, certainly don't have the money. They spend it all on donkey's heads. They don't have any money. So there has to be a defeated army, supplies, and money within 24 hours. That is the definition of impossible. When you're a city under siege for months with nothing left. But remember, as we see throughout Scripture, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Hear that, understand it, believe it, because in your life there are times when you look at circumstances and you need God to do something that is impossible. And we as Christians should never at that moment say, well, might as well give up. We shouldn't say there's no hope. We shouldn't look to places where God doesn't want us to look for some help because we can't think of any place else for it. And those times we... Listen to God, we obey Him, we have faith, knowing that He can do the impossible. Now, there was another man who heard that news, not only the king, but the king's right-hand man, or his captain. This is a terrible picture, but he's a terrible man, so it fits him. It's very fitting that we have a terrible picture for this guy. When he heard Elisha say the news, he said this, Look, even if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this really happen? Because he understands the reality. An army defeated, supplies, money. He's saying God's going to have to open up the sky and stuff's going to have to fall down. That's the only way this is going to happen. But this is a statement of doubt. Not only a statement of doubt, a statement of unbelief. He doesn't believe it. There's no way it can happen. He forgot. Elisha twice said, this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Elisha didn't say, this is my hope. Elisha didn't say, these are my words. Elisha didn't say, I hope this happens. This is a dream I had. This is a fantasy I had. No, he said, the Lord said, this is going to happen. The captain heard 
but would not believe. Because he would not believe, Elisha said this to him, you will in fact see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. This was a judgment on this captain because of his unbelief. When God speaks, we need to believe it. God makes promises in His Word. God speaks to us now through His Word. God speaks. When He speaks, we listen. We believe. We obey. Even when it sounds impossible. Even when it sounds unbelievable. We believe. We risk losing out on blessing. Upon seeing God's promises revealed. When we have disbelief, we have no faith. Let's believe when God speaks. In other words, some other people in this story. This is a pretty bad picture too. These guys are in very bad shape, so it may be very appropriate. Some translations call them lepers. Because in the Old Testament, there were various skin diseases. They just used one word. So maybe it is the disease we know modern day terms as leprosy or maybe another skin disease. But whatever the specific disease was, they were unclean. They could not live with their families. They could not worship God if they were in Jerusalem in the tabernacle or the temple. Their life was a life of living with each other outside of society. And their only means of living was begging. They were on the outside of the city, as they would normally be. They had been begging, but now who were they begging from, right? No one has anything. So there's no point in being there and begging for food. No one has food. There's no point in begging for money. No one has money. If they had money, they'd only be getting dove's poop and donkey's heads. So they reasoned correctly. In 2 Kings 7, it says this, Now four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. Let's surrender to the Arameans' camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. Very good logic. They were starving to death. They were as good as dead. They could go into the city. It wasn't any better in the city. Everybody there was starving to death. So they reasoned, we're going to die out here of starvation, or we're going to die in the city of starvation. So why don't we go to the Arameans' camp? If we go there, yeah, they may kill us, but we're dead already. Or they may have mercy on us. Maybe they have some food. They'll feed us. Maybe they'll let us be servants for them. You know, somehow we might live if we go and rely on the mercy of the Aramean army. So uh, they went to the army. But when they got there, there was no soldiers. All there was was an empty camp. This isn't a very good picture either, but it has the donkey in it. He's got his head on, so he's not dead. But what they found there were animals, Uh, they found food, they found silver, they found gold, they found garments. It was 
not only the supplies of the army, but it was the plunder that they had taken from other places. And it was there for the taking. Not a soldier to be found. And, and, and so what did they do? Well, they did what anybody would do. They went and got it. They, they got it. They started eating. Uh, they started collecting. Uh, but then they started hoarding and hiding and keeping it all to themselves. But then their conscience got the better of them. And they realized it was not right to do that. They said to each other, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. If we're silent and we wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. So let's go tell the king's household. They realized they had plenty now. But their family were in the city starving to death. They couldn't keep this good news to themselves. They couldn't hoard these supplies. And so they did. They went to the gate of the city and they told the gatekeeper who told the king what the four lepers had seen. When the king heard the news, he actually was pretty smart. He said, now wait, wait a minute. Let's not get too excited. This may be a trap. Maybe the army has just retreated a ways back. And when we come out to their camp, then they will attack us. So he sent out some scouts. And the scouts went to the camp. It was empty. They went farther from the camp. And as far as they went, there was no soldiers. In fact, on the roads were all the things that they had left behind. It was not a trap. It was a blessing. Well, what had happened? Well, God had made a sound that the soldiers thought were thousands of soldiers coming to surround them and attack them. They, they thought from the south the Egyptian army was coming. From the north the Hittite army was coming. They thought they were surrounded. And they thought there were thousands on thousands of soldiers. So out of fear, out of panic, they ran for their lives. God had done a miracle. Uh, the sound were not soldiers that came from God. Even the panic was caused by God, and they fled, leaving everything. I mean, that's not really the normal thing an army does when it retreats. They would have taken some of the stuff and gone with them, but they were so panicked and so fearful, they just ran and left it all behind. A miracle of God. And it all happened within that 24-hour Elisha had promised. Well, remember that captain? He saw the good news. He heard it. He saw that the, it was an empty camp, all this stuff. The king made him the guard at the gate so that the people would leave the city in an orderly manner. Do you think anyone starving to death, left that city in an orderly manner to go get the food and the, the gold and the silver and all that stuff? No! And what happens when people rush and they run like a herd of cattle? He was trampled to death. Elisha told him, you will see it, but you will not eat. His punishment, because he did not believe the word of God. 
Those lepers remind me of we Christians. We have good news, don't we? Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We have blessing, don't we? We have blessing. We have good news. Yet sometimes we Christians are like the lepers at the first. The lepers first hoarded it all. Now, we love to sing about Jesus. We love to talk about Jesus. But we love to do it with other Christians. And we love to keep all the love and the blessing and the good news just right around us so we all can enjoy it. Well, we're hoarding it. God didn't save us to just be with Christians. He saved us to go and tell others who aren't Christians. He didn't bless us just so that we could bless each other. We're to go bless those who are in need and need to hear the gospel. We must be like the lepers were later who went and shared the good news. And the whole city was blessed because of it. From this story, we learn these four lessons. Don't blame others for things that you have caused in your life. Nothing is impossible with God. When God speaks, believe, and share the good news and the blessings God has given to you. This story in Elisha's life teaches us this. Right now as we respond to God, it's an opportunity for you to listen what the Holy Spirit has said, to say yes to God, to obey Him. I want you to remember again, this story is in the midst of a time in Israel's history when the nation was far, far, far from God. But even in the midst of that, God did a miracle. Remember that again. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When our world, our nation, your family, even your personal life is in turmoil, it's out of control, it's chaos, God is still there. He can still do a miracle. And He is still at work. Even in the midst of all of that. If you are there right now, reach out to God today. Pray for that miracle. Hold on to His hand. Let Him lead you. If you're in a mess because of your sin, repent of it. Hear the forgiveness of God. Come back to Him. Let this be a story of hope that wherever you are, God is with you. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful. Thankful, Lord, for your provision, your protection. Thankful, Lord, that even in the midst of difficult times, you are there with us. I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, if there is sin that we need to confess, we're hurting under the discipline of your hand. Lord, may we be wise and repent and come back to you. And Lord, if we are in the midst of just problems, Lord, I pray we would listen and hear your hope and your promise. I pray that we would ask, Lord, for that miracle with faith, believing. This isn't the only miracle you did in Scripture. It's not the only one you've done. You've done it in our church. You've done it in our personal lives. You've done it in history, Lord. We know you can do the impossible. And Lord, may we leave here today. May we go and tell everyone what you have given us and the good news, Lord. I pray these things. I pray our response to you would be one of faith and of saying to you, yes. And I pray this, Lord, in your name.
Amen.